get started. I was over at the, my booth chatting with people and totally lost track of time. So if you were wondering where I was, it's uh, where I'm at. Um, I'm really excited to be here. This is my first time at, at CEA. Um, and I'm a, I'm a teacher from California, actually. So I'm freezing. I made the mistake. Of, <laughs> I looked online and there was, I know this sounds very, very California, but I was like, ooh, that place is avocado toast. It's only two blocks away. So I got up and went walking without my jacket this morning, and I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> I'm dying, I'm dying. So, um, I will do my best to get through all of this. Um, my name's Mitch, you can, you can see all of that in the, uh, in the intro. Um, but I probably won't go through everything. Um, I'm going to talk a lot about really good teaching and a lot of really good stuff, and I'm not going to demonstrate any of it. Um, for the sake of time. And it's also just kind of my style. Um, and I just don't, if I'm sitting where you are, which I do a lot, I don't particularly like doing a lot of role playing. It's kind of like, tell me what you got. I just want to hear about it. And, and then, uh, so it's a nod of respect for you. Um, but just get ready. I'm going to say a lot really fast. So hopefully you have your notebook out um, for your handouts. And um, this is a program that evolved or kind of spun out of my own teaching. I'm a high school teacher. Um, and that was, gosh, 15 plus years ago. And it's kind of organically grown into um, an organization. And we work with schools all over the country and now internationally, both at the school level, um, district, county, um, kind of level. So, but I'm just going to give you a quick intro to the program. Let's um, move as fast as I can. If, if you're here, you probably know that this is about students developing um, a set of skills called executive functioning skills, which is kind of an umbrella term if you're somewhat new to it. And that there's specific skills and habits that have a, um, a really big impact on student learning and success. And there's six of those that I'm going to introduce you to today. Um, but here's what I've learned over the years in doing this. Sorry, it's a little crooked. Um, first of all, they, historically, we've kind of left it up to chance, right? Unless you happen to have a child yourself that struggles with executive dysfunction, which we're finding after the last two years of kind of interrupted learning. That's pretty much everybody, right? Um, adults included, I think. Um, and we can't leave it up for cha to chance. I love this, this uh, quote that someone sent me from somebody on Instagram, actually. So we can't expect students to automatically know how to read. Right? And it's the same thing with executive function. I think we're at a place now where we can't just like wait for it to happen and hope it's going to happen. But what's interesting, at least from my experience, is that executive functioning skills aren't really taught in a traditional sense. They're best learned when they're seen explicitly modeled, and I'm going to go over all three of these in a moment, and I get practice with them in a no-stakes way, meaning if I don't get it right, it doesn't impact my grade or performance. Okay. Um, and that's, that's basically what we're going to talk about here. Oh, this is going to be a little glitchy on me. Um, I'm going to skip over some of the research and underpinnings. I will give anybody this deck of slides, and I will email you any of this if you, if you would like on the back side. So I'm not going to sit here and read most of it to you. I'd rather tell you my analogy of the compass. Um, the way I see executive functions, um, it's analogous to um, equipping a person. So I'm a geology undergrad, so you know, uh, 
I love maps and compasses and everything. Um, but it, it's kind of as if somebody is out in the wilderness and we've equipped them with the resources and devices they need to choose a destination and navigate successfully to that place. Okay? Um, and you might think, here we are in the modern world, but don't worry about it. Just plug in your destination let GPS take you. But for students who struggle with executive dysfunction, and again, I'm, I'm going to say increasingly I think that's all students could benefit from this. Um, it's like they're in the wilderness where there is no signal, there is no GPS, and we've equipped them, at times maybe over-equipped them with devices and resources and things. But if I don't know how to use them, they're not going to do me any good. And that's where these skills come in, right? These, these habits that I... I have, and it really is about developing a sense of agency in students. So what are these skills? Um, mental processes that enable us to plan, focus attention, remember instructions, and juggle multiple tasks successfully. It's what we all do every day. Some of the schools we work with have coined a term called studentness, and I like that. It's kind of like all the stuff you need to be able to do um, in and around your education or what you're trying to learn that's, that's not content specific. This work is foundational, content, testing, I mean, everything we, we do in our, in our world um, is secondary. What we're trying to learn, I think, is secondary. Now, that's not in terms of importance. It's just that we can't wait for these to develop and focus solely on content. And our industry, um, we, are, we are about content. I'm either hired to teach a specific grade level or a specific subject. And we tend to, tend to dive into that with, if we overstep this, um, it can be problematic. All right. So here's the, the, the three strategies I just mentioned. Being hyper-explicit. I found that students um, are interested in this, actually. So I want you to know what we're doing. We're going to model it. I'm going to show you these, uh, some pictures of this in just a moment. And then the real key here is it's all about routine. Okay, so, again, I'm going to move a little bit fast if you're taking notes. Being explicit. I really like this quote. Um, ambiguity is the enemy. Right? I know for myself as a learner, I spent a lot of time in classrooms not super confident. I just, it just did, I didn't like just get it, if that makes any sense. In fact, I don't think I really felt any sense of agency until I was in graduate school. Um, studying to be a teacher. It kind of started to sync up for me. So if we're trying to make the change, it requires a transition of ambiguous goals into concrete behavior. This is the part I like. In order to make the switch, you have to script the critical moves. Now this isn't specific to education, it's kind of specific to anything. Um, but when we're trying to change, and I, I always envision this with my students, the change is equipping them with these executive functioning skills so that they have greater sense of agency and dexterity in their education. So we're going to be explicit. We're going to model it every day. Okay. For us at Organized Binder, the modeling is, is it's very clear. Every student has one of these. You can stop by the booth. I brought a couple um, for you to thumb through if you'd like. You have one of each of the, you can see those dividers. And so the color coding fits with you. Think about that color. I'm going to go over all this with the color coding, with the modeling. Every student has one of these. Everything that we're doing with this routine um, 
that's projected up for students. If you are a dot cam in the classroom, everything is constantly being modeled. Okay. This is what you have. You can stop by and see our guide for families as well. This is what's in your packet. But here, here's the key. And this is really a, a, a nod to teachers. Um, I like to say that this program is built by teachers for teachers. And one thing we all lack is time. Nobody has enough time. I have not met too many teachers, first of all, on a daily basis that are walking around school looking for something else to do. <laughs> right? You're like avoiding admin or any like someone that might ask you something. And on a larger scale, on a year-long scale, we, we rarely have enough time to get through what we're tasked to teach, what we're hired to teach. There's just not enough time. So even if this is resonating with you and you're like, yeah, I want my students to have this. This would transform our school. Um, where do you find the time to teach it? Also, this may not be your realm of expertise, your zone of genius, right? Usually that is the grade level or the content you're teaching, and that's important. So the point here is, by implementing a predictable learning routine, and students engaging in that routine, they get practice with these skills. So it doesn't interfere with content instruction. And that's what I hope you also take away from today. Um, I love this. One of the biggest ironies is that many of the tools likely to yield the strongest results remain essentially beneath the notice of our theories. And theorists in education consider one unmistakable driver of students' achievement, carefully built and practiced routines. Um, I am convinced that uh, predictable learning environments are safer learning spaces. And for students who may not have that sense of agency, when they find themselves in a, a dependable space, they're more likely to kind of let their guard down and take risks inherent to learning. And it's just about predictability. Like I know what to do when I show up to this class. I love this line, the importance of repetition cannot be understated. In fact, it should re be repeated that repetition is an essential <laughs> learning aid. And here's the point. It allows a conscious skill to transfer into one's subconscious, freeing up working memory to focus on further skills development. That's this whole program. Okay, and I'll explain working memory if that's new to you in just a moment. So it's just repetition. Okay, repetition. Now, here's the power and why we work with schools and districts um, or networks. When students get practice with this either year after year, if it's in a, um, a K-6 setting, or in a middle high school environment where I'm going from class to class to class, if I am engaging in a similar or identical predictable routine, totally different content, totally different subject, but the routine is the same, I'm reducing the cognitive load. How many people, I, I, I'm from California, almost every, every year I've taught, now 20 years in the classroom, um, I work with students for whom English is a second language, commonly. Not all of my students, but there's some of the students in the class. Is that true of anybody here? Any EO codes? Okay. You? Um, there's a certain amount for me when I'm working with those students. And I would, again, coming off of the last two years, um, and other students as well, there's a certain amount of cognitive energy or mental calories those kids use just navigating the school day. And if we can reduce that load, we free up working memory to focus on what I'm trying to learn. Does that make sense? And it has a profound impact on classroom management too. There's an intersection between executive functions and management. Right? So what am I saying? So I'll try to remember to, to say these. We're going to 
definitely run out of time if I say them all, but classroom management is more about clarity than authority. Right? So when I start to be, I have this very clear routine, and I'm, not just the routine, I'm expecting you to engage in this routine. Um, it can start to impact how things are going behaviorally as well. Okay. Let's jump into this. Again, I'm not going to do a whole lot of role playing, but this predictable routine I'm mentioning is we always begin with something called the weekly lifeline. And again, you can come check out one of these binders. But if you open your little packet there, you'll see the B page is white. And then we transition to something called the agenda and the table of contents. On occasion, this toolkit. And then we begin and end the school day or the class period with this weekly lifeline. We begin with a kickoff. We end with something called a learning log. That's what I'm going to jump into now. But the point here I want to make, if there are any teachers in the room, um, it's really a, a respecting that instructional time. Here's what's really interesting. Sometimes teachers will be like, I, just, I don't have time. I can't fit anything else in the school day or the class period. But when they implement a predictable routine, and if it's shared with colleagues, so students just know it, they actually report back that they have more instructional time because of that routine. Right? So you're implementing something new and getting, getting more instructional time. So let's jump in. We are first going to look at working memory. Okay? And working memory is loosely defined as the ability to retrieve, go back and grab something that I've experienced or I've learned from memory, and hold it kind of in cognitive space long enough to do something with it. Okay? The cool thing about working memory Research has shown that it can get strengthened. So the more I utilize my working memory, the stronger it can get. And another thing that's cool about working memory is uh, a student's ability to pay attention, be on task in class, is linked to working memory. So we know students with poorer attentional skills can have weaker working memories. So the more we use it, the stronger it gets. Again, that's back to that kind of some of those management issues, which may not be a thing for you um, anyway, but I just thought I would mention it. So we're going to pretend for a moment that you're in my class, and you walked in, and if I had decent handwriting, I would have an organized binder under a document camera, ideally. And you can see it. I don't. So I always do it digitally, just so people can read it. When I designed this program, we were using overhead projectors. Some people in the room are kind of like, what's that? But some of you I know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, the clear overhead. So I'd have a student go up, and they would write this kickoff. So we, this would be up for you. It would be in however you can project it. Um, and it's a nonverbal visual cue that in order to be ready when we begin or um, to be on time, all you simply have to do is be in your assigned seat with your binder open to your weekly life. You'll see from your packet and other images up here, uh, the goals in front of it are gold. The agenda behind it is green. So let's pretend there's 30 of you in my room. You can have 29 visual reminders all around you about where you need to be in order to engage with the class community. And I have it up here for you as well. Okay? So I'm spending less of my mental calories trying to figure out where I need to be and more just like I'm ready to engage. I can liberate all those to focus on what I'm trying to do. Okay. When we begin with this kickoff, I'm going to kick off. There's a lot more I'd like to say about this. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to skip it for time's sake. 
This is the nonverbal visual cue. And then when class or the school day begins, or when I start us as the teacher in the room, then I show some type of prompt. What we typically see when we visit campuses that are rolling out the program is that if someone does have a bell rung or a do now or a question of the day, that it's up for students when they enter the classroom. And it's meant to engage them the moment they walk in. And it's seen as a best practice. And, and it is, in a sense, but it can also create management issues because everybody arrives at a slightly different time. And then when we do actually begin, I get to sit around and wait and encourage you to all get done, and there goes three minutes of class time. Right? If I see students 180 days a year, which is kind of an average school year, if I routinely waste one, I, the teacher, routinely waste one minute to start class, how much instruction time have I wasted? How many hours? Three hours of instruction, one minute. Okay, not to be totally like neurotic about it, but it's true. So if it just, and there's a lot of those, those times, and what you're going to see with Organized Binder is the only time footprint it has in the classroom is the first few moments and the last few moments. Which I can say very confidently from personal observations, that's historically some of the most underutilized school time. Right? And again, that's a nod to like, hey, you got a job to do. You teach fifth grade, or you teach art, or whatever it is. That's your job. So I don't want to infringe upon that. But maybe we could exploit those first few moments to create a routine and, and hone these executive functions. This gives me, what we encourage teachers to do, is take a moment and revisit and reteach the previous lesson or lessons content standard or objective. It's not a standard. We'll talk about the, the research behind that in a moment, but it's kind of like, remember this something? And we know that uh, the clearer and more explicit teachers are about the point of every lesson, the more likely students are to learn them. So in our trainings, this is kind of a fun challenge, as a classroom teacher, if I say, that, well, what was the point of your lesson on Friday, if this is Monday? If you don't know, and you don't have a lot of clarity around that, it's not very likely that your students do. So in other words, administrators in the room, teachers can't just show up and shoot from the hip anymore. You have to have some thinking. This is basic lesson planning, but I've seen a lot of classrooms where I'm like, I don't think this person has any plan, other than they know kind of the topics of what they're going to lecture on today. right? And we, could, we can do much better than that. Students are recording this prompt. For them, it's kind of like this safety net. You'll notice there's no place for a score here. It's okay to get it wrong. It's okay to be confused. And I know when I show up to this class, this teacher's kind of got my back. They're going to say, like, here's this thing. Do you have any questions, any comments? Like, let's get some clarity around this before we move on to what we're doing. Okay? Same thing with Tuesday. Same thing with Wednesday. Oops. And in each binder, you can stop by the booth and see, um, each binder would have 18 of these in the semester one and 18 in the semester two refill. So this would happen to be the fifth week we're using the program. If a teacher did roll it out the first week of school, that could be the fifth week of school. It doesn't have to be that. Right? But think about this now. If I'm a content area teacher and I'm getting near the end of my first unit of curriculum here in the fifth week of school, just by virtue of this beginning routine, and let, let's say my, my assessment or project or whatever it is is Friday of this week, my students could have as many as 25 standards aligned or objectives aligned prompts in their binder 
that they can use to learn to study from that's absolutely aligned to what we're doing every single day. So students are one part of the year-long or course-long portfolio that they create is this every single day standards or objectives aligned prompt that, that's in their binder. Okay? Here's the thing, again, administrators in the room. There's a class sample binder, so it's organizing teachers' curriculum on a daily basis as well. Okay. And I can speak from personal experience, I have so many of these class sample binders now that I often look back at what I did year after year after year on specific days. What was the prompt I asked? Okay. It's meant to be a reteach. Students are writing it down. Yes, that seems novel in our, our world these days, that pencil and paper, kinesthetic, tactile, that is, that's where you learn these executive functions. And I'm not here to say they don't translate into a digital world. But apps do things for you. Okay? You've got to learn these on your own. So this is the, the starting place. Um, and it's not a quiz. Okay? I'm just showing these are, this is a kickoff. It's just we're starting the day. Okay? It's okay to get it wrong. It can be pair share. Teachers can do whatever they want with it. Um, they don't all have to be written. Literally, you can do anything you want with these as a way to kick the day off. And then we end this little kickoff time. And that's up to the teacher's discretion of how much time they want to use. Most of us say, okay, now check yourself. And it's a scale of one through five, and it's a simple self-assessment of where am I in relationship to my giddiness. Thank you. How often do students get the opportunity, in a no-stakes way, to self-assess? Back to our compass you know, analogy, I always tell my students, like, look, there's going to be times on your journey where you get lost, or you get tired, or something goes on. The important thing is being able to know where you are in relationship to that journey or that destination. So in this case, a one would be like, I don't get it. Maybe I was gone Friday. I don't even know what you're talking about. So I'm a one. Someone else might claim that they're a five. But think about that cognitive process. What does it look like when I get something? Because it looks different for me than it looks for you and you and you. Like it's, that's a very personalized experience. So the more opportunities I get to self-assess, the better. What I love about this as a practitioner, I'm walking around the room. If this was a training, you'd see videos. And I'm quickly just glancing. This is all formative feedback to see where students are before we move on. And I'm being, I couldn't look at all of yours, right? But I know there's some students that I kind of want to, I want to glance at where they are in their self-assessment. Okay? And it creates a learning space where it's okay to be a one or two. I don't know if you've experienced this, teachers in the room, but when students are struggling with the content of a class, they're less likely to like lean in and engage and kind of pull them back. When we know that's the moment I need to lean in. So I'm constantly telling my students, hey, if you're a one or two, like, I actually need to know that more so than if you're a five, right? I, I really do. Now, of course, I want you to be a four or five. I'm working my butt off to get you there. Um, but if you're not having that sense of clarity, if you're feeling that you're confused, I need to know that. And know that that's part of the journey. It's all good, right? So... A lot packed into this, this first beginning routine. They're all in that B tab of the binder, and we create this ongoing portfolio. Now, typically, we would transition and update the, uh, 
agenda. I'm going to talk about this end of class. So in a, like, this is more important in not a self-contained, but in a middle high school where we're going class to class to class to class. This program um, makes bell-to-bell -bell instruction a reality. Right? And again, some of that underutilized time, the first few moments and the last few moments, um, that's also where our management issues can breed. So what we do with organized minor, and I was always the teacher who over-prepared and tried to stuff as much into my lessons. And so the class would end, and I'd be like shouting homework as they're leaving, and it just felt like manic. And I'd be like, did anybody like learn anything today? Like, what happened? It, like, we've all been there, right? And it's well-intentioned. And so then I thought, as a, as a new teacher, this is nice. There's heat coming out right here. <laughs> Most conferences, I'm up here sweating, and right now this feels good. Um, the, uh, I, I totally lost my train of thought. Oh, as a new teacher, I thought, okay, I know how to figure out if they're learning anything from their lessons. I'm going to grade their homework. That's what homework's for. That's not what homework's for if you give homework. I'm here to tell you that. Using homework as a formative assessment is not only inequitable, because life outside of school is not something that is the same for everybody. And it's entirely inauthentic. Did you do it? Did you get help? Did you copy off your name? Like, which is all possible. So don't use homework as a formative piece because it's a giant waste of your time and oftentimes the kids and families. But I needed to know what's going on with you before you leave my space. Let's just have a conversation. I don't have time to do that because there's 20 of you in the room or for me at times 40 something in the room. Right? But the only way I'm going to know is if we have this interaction. Right? But we can have that if it's real. And that's how we end the learning period with Organized Binder, whether it's the school day or the class period. It's just a simple reflection. And here's what it encourages teachers to do. Begin with the end in mind. So if I have you for the whole school day, or if I have you for 50 minutes, let's say, what do I hope you can articulate or demonstrate at the end of this time? Where, where do I hope we get to? Where are we going? And I may not get there. I may get there too early. It's not always going to work out, but I have this thought about what I hope you can articulate. And students, the way we sell it to students is this is a one-on-one -on -one private conversation between me and I'm going to read it. It's the only place this program takes teacher's time outside of class. Students are reflecting each day, maybe even just one sentence. And who's heard of the exit ticket? All right. Love the idea, not a sustainable practice. If I'm a high school teacher and I get 150 exit tickets a day, we've been there, right? What am I going to do with all Like the, the, the truth is, there's going to be days where I don't have the time or the energy to read through these. And I'm here to tell you that may not be the best use of your time anyway. So you have to have sustainable practices, which I believe this is. You could read these learning logs every day if you have the time. But at the end of the week, students just hand the learning log on their way out. And I read these five learning logs. I don't go over the kickoff. We did that together. I'm just reading what students are, are reflecting on a weekly basis. And it's fine. It's, pl it's, it's plain enough time to read that and make adjustments the following week. But it's the only place in our program, and you can see, like, little comments. Like, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I wish I could tell you about Steve. This is one of my kids. Um, 
but we don't have time. But I can tell you this right now. This is a promise. If you're a teacher in the room and you do this, and you read them, and you hand them back the next week, students will start to open up to you, both around instruction, around personal stuff. I can't tell you how many cries for help have come in the learning log, because they know, first of all, the space is consistent and predictable, which means it's dependable. That routine transfers to you as a human, and I don't have the words for that. I don't, I don't know how to explain that, but it's true. You're a more trustworthy person if you're consistent with your predictable routine. I've, I've seen it happen. But when they know you're reading and passing it back, and it's just a reflection, you could get it wrong. Like if I, I've done this. I've done some really, you know, just silly jokes that completely cross things up for students in, in science class. And they came out in the learning log. I was like, oh my gosh. You know, this one will probably resonate with all of you. I remember one year, total joke, not that my kids would know who Billy Graham was. But we were talking about the theory of natural selection. And I made a joke about Billy Graham and, you know, the theory of natural selection. My, my kids aren't going to get it. I can't tell you how many students wrote, like, today we were learning about this, and uh, the, the individual who came up with the theory of natural selection and evolution was this guy named Billy Graham. And I was like, I, you know, okay, that was a total teacher, you know, foul right there. But I, I highlight the point, but the feedback, the, the way I say it, um, to teachers, the reason I say we, I dare you to try it is you will show up on Monday with a pulse on every kid in your room in a way that homework will never tell you. It's really profound. In our guide for educators and families, we have pages of these sample prompts to get you thinking about them because the quality of student response is usually predicated on the prompt. Students want to tell you what they did. Today I learned about the Industrial Revolution. I'm taking my time to read that. Like I know, I designed the lesson. Like I got to get, I got to get deeper in there, right? And that's all part of our training. Uh, I'm going to just jump quick because we're going to run out of time. Elaboration is the process of giving new material meaning. So what I learned today, expressing it in my own words, and con making connections with what I already know. That's the learning walk. That's heavy lifting. That's why we practice it every day. Just keep trying this, okay? And here's some of the, the research behind it. This is my educational hero. I don't know if there's any Ferrari fans in the room. But liberating education consists in acts of cognition, not transferals of information. And I appreciate the dichotomy here. We're all hired to transfer information. If I teach fourth grade, that's I'm teaching it. But if we don't have moments of cognition built into every day, students are going to learn less and retain less. That's the routine. Kickoff, cognition. Checkbox, cognition. Learning log, cognition. It's all about processing these things. Um, powerful teaching, write it down, great book. It's like a manual for this program, so much so that I reached out to the authors and we're now friends. It's great. But I love this. Based on a century of research, and this is kind of like a meta-analysis of decades of, of research, but it doesn't read heavy like that. Uh, in order to transform learning, we must focus on getting information out. We spend all of our time getting information in, right? That's what we do as teachers. So we have to have both going on, a strategy called retrieval practice. Um, this one I want to 
touch on Marzano's work. I know you've all heard of him. It's all about exposures. I like how he says that, that um, we should find ways to expose students to details multiple times, at least three, ideally no more than two days apart. Here's what we do with organized binary. You give your lesson first exposure, let's say. At the end of class, we have this learning law, this conversation between us. Second exposure, time for cognition. If you give any next steps or homework outside of class, not as a formative assessment, but just as an exposure, that could be the third. And when you show up tomorrow, the first thing we do within seconds of engaging is we go back to that standard or so every 24 hours, just by routine, I could have four exposures, right? The word we use is I'm going to marinate you in the content. We're just going to keep coming back to it. And we know that the cognitive science behind that, that's where learning and retention is boosted. All right. I told you I was going to say a lot in a little bit of time, so I hope you're hanging with me. Nobody's falling asleep yet, I don't think. That means you're trapping with me. I won't spend this much time. Um, I really believe that the first two minutes set the tone for the whole day or lesson. And so how we use them matters, which is kind of why I took the deep dive. But we start with that kickoff, which is working memory. And then we do a quick check-in around the skill of planning and time management. Turn to your C page, which is green. Yours is um, a little outdated. This is the newer version. I apologize. You're actually using what I brought you, our, um, our implementation training packet. So teachers at a school or district that were using this could write all over it in our training. Um, but they are a little bit outdated, so I, I brought them along so you could write all over them. So that's what the difference is. And one of the things you'll see in your version, I think it says in-class, standard, maybe homework. Increasingly, and I like this movement, I'm kind of a proponent that Homework is either being rebranded or at least reconsidered by schools. And so calling it homework um, doesn't always fit. And so a big part of a shared routine is the common language of a school. And so what we've done is removed, just so you know why this looks different, um, any of the headings. And so the school will choose what they want to use those for. In most cases, it's a check-in about what we're going to do in class and if there's any next steps or homework. There's no longer a standards column because what if I, that's kind of alienating if I have a class that's not standards-based. So most of the time, this is the idea here, back to predictability. We've done our kickoff. We turn to the agenda, and I get a chance just to introduce a lesson. Every teacher sitting in the room probably already does this. It's probably up on the whiteboard or a chalkboard or some way. But I just had this conversation with a school in Southern California that's, that we work with. And the teacher said, yeah, the first week of school, I really went over the agenda. So we were talking about the importance of just pausing for about 20 seconds, 30 seconds, and introducing the lesson. Talk about it. Get excited about it while they're recording it. So now my parents and families know what the heck we're doing in class. A little snapshot, something home lesson. And if I missed class, or miss school, I mean, within moments of starting the next day, I know what I missed, right? That's all about clarity and predictability. And he said, he's like, yeah, I was doing that the first week of school. I don't think I've done it since. He's like, I don't think the kids even look at the agenda. I'm like, yeah, because it's not part of your routine. Like, don't put it, they're not going to look at it. It's the, it's the teacher I've met. I've met a lot of them, and they're like, binders. I bought all my teachers, all my students binders one year. 
I gave them all binders. And they didn't do anything with them. That's because they don't have the skill yet that you, you have to model this stuff. So, typically I would have done my kickoff, I, I get a chance to introduce the lesson, and then I move on. That's not the intent of this document, this routine. What I want to do on occasion, if you were in my training, is I'd have you look at your course or your syllabus, if you have one, and pick any larger kind of upcoming weightier assignment or assessment, something that has some like meat to it. And it's only two weeks on the front, two weeks on the back. Okay? Don't pick something that's at like week 15. Pick something that's maybe at the end of this week. So for me, I might say, we're going to start this new unit. Uh, here we are, beginning of September, on the cardiovascular system. We're going to do a lab, but your first lab report's going to be due in two weeks. Let's just say I'm saying that. It's not on there yet. Then I say, hey, let's write that on our agenda because that's what people do who keep a calendar. And you would all write it with me. Okay? And if I had a doc cam and good handwriting, I would write it in somewhere. And I'd say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to give you any other homework or next steps Thursday. I want you to finalize your lab report. Let's write that on our agenda because that's what people do who keep a you should be in my classes. Like by the end of the first month, my students are repeating these sayings with me, right? And the truth is, then you show up Tuesday, and then Wednesday, and as we're going through, nobody's going to be surprised this is due. But on the higher end, now we're introducing this foundational skill of time time management, which we all do. You all do this, right? And if you have I can tell you stories of the colleges we work with. This is the thing they're most excited about with Organized Binder. Because think about coming to class, and you still, and this is not a best practice, but that professor who gives you one document the first day of school, what is it? Syllabus. Syllabus. And you better be ready to go on week 15, because you're in college now, and I'm not going to talk about it. Right? I have quotes from people that they've sent in saying that, when students, and we're working, they're using this at the college level, but just just modeling it for them makes all the difference in the world. Okay? Um, on the high end, you can see these over at our uh, booth. Schools often have planners themselves, so you don't need ours by any means, but those that don't will also include planners. So now, imagine, and this is often done in the middle and high school or upper elementary to high school level, um, I'm going from class to class to class, and I have my planner, and the teacher pauses for 15 or 20 seconds and says, is there anything from today's agenda that needs to go in your personal calendar? And why? What do you think? Like, those little conversations. Well, I think I should write that down. Okay, cool. Someone else? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to write that down, too. And so this skill of maintaining a calendar is now happening. And then you can get into, and this is in our trainings, time blocking. Do you work? Do you have sports, do you take care of your siblings? Like, well, how do we start to really know when you can do the stuff you need to do outside of school? Most cases though, kick off, quickly update the agenda as like an introduction, and then we turn to the skill of organization. And this is where the name, by the way, the, the name just came about because my students were organized and they take so much pride in these binders. Organized binder, and that's where the company name came from. So, um, an organized binder, you'll see uh, from the pictures and those out there, there's no tabs for types of assignments or work. In other words, there's no section for notes and homework and worksheets and essays 
right? So we're not organizing based on uh, differentiating between the type of activity or assignment. The lens with Organized Binder is meant to offer a structure um, for teachers' unit lesson planning, okay? which is just as important. That unit sequencing is just as important as the daily planning. And the truth about um, unit planning is you get better the more you do it. Because you look back year after year after year and you look at the stuff you're doing in the sequencing. And we're capturing that. So in my class, we would have done the kickoff. We would have quickly updated the agenda. And then we'd update our table of contents. Here's our hypothetical day of the 14th. And then I teach. Do what I've already done. The next day, kickoff. Quickly update the agenda. Oops, it jumped a head on me there. Update the table of contents. Teach my class. Okay, and I'm just going to go through this. Follow the date column here. Right? We're at, I, I wouldn't encourage teachers to pre-populate this. And the reason for that is who knows how the unit's going to go. It depends on the learners in the room. I want to pivot this way. I might want to add this. Right? So if you look, though, in terms of category or type of assignment, there's notes. There's stuff that looks like worksheets, stuff out of a textbook, a lab report. Um, there's different types of assignments, but the lens here is it all belongs to this unit of curriculum. That's all. It's very simple. Yeah. Students are recording this, and believe it or not, they're actually responsible and held accountable to keep track of their scores as they come back. If it has any point value, it doesn't have to. And I'm like you, I love online gradebooks, but if we had time, we could all go around and tell stories about a student who comes to you and is like, why do I have a, a, why is my grade so low in your class? Or why, like, just no, like, making the connection. Like, well, it's in the grade book. Aren't you looking online at the grade book? Yeah, no, I'm not. Um, even though they might be. But this is pretty, it's pretty interesting to watch when students are recording and keeping track of their scores. You know who loves this the most? Mom and dad, usually. Right? Want to know what's going on. Right? There's a lot more that can be said about that. Uh, the essential or guiding questions, that's totally up to the teacher to like populate before the unit, have the conversation before. I tend to do it as a reflection at the end and let students self-generate them. But kind of having those overarching themes. Look how simple this is, everybody. Students write that number in the upper right-hand corner of the assignment or activity or resource. It could be loose leaf paper. Every organized binder comes with 50 sheets of paper. How many times have you been in class and been like, hey, take out a piece of paper. I don't, I don't have one. Or this person has like 10 and she's giving out hers to you. And there goes a minute. And there goes two minutes. And there goes three. So 50 in there. Um, or it could be something you've created. It could be out of a consumable. And they just get put in order here. Now here's what's cool. Students, at least for me, for the first time, my students would be intimately aware that they don't have number five. It's because we do it just real quick, check real quick. Number one, number two, number three, number four, number six. I don't have, where's my number five? And it might be because they didn't do it. It might be because I collected it and I haven't returned it for whatever reason. But the important thing is they know. Okay? And we go however long the unit is with this process. And then at the end, we staple that table of contents to all of their work and we create a unit chunk or a unit packet. These all get stored at the very back of the binder. And then when we start a new unit, 
new table of contents. I think there's 12 table of contents for semester one and semester two. Way more than, than anyone would probably need. Okay? So here's two of my, as a high school teacher, this is my ninth grade um, LEP. So limited English proficiency. Newcomers to the country. Studying, and this is general science. So I would say some of the more at-risk or fragile kiddos in my school in terms of success. Studying for a cumulative final exam in June with everything they've done, created, been given, neatly chunked and thematic, very accessible unit packets. So if we want to talk about developing a sense of agency or self-confidence, um, there's a certain empowerment that happens here. I, I'm not kidding. Oh, gosh, I'm, all my stories. I want to tell you all these stories. But I've had students start crying. Real tears of just like, oh, wow. I had a kid come in one time and say, walked into class crying on the day of the final in June. And I was like, Marina, what's going on? You know, she was, it was like happy tears. And she said, last night, I sat down to study for your final. Because I tell them, first day of school, I'm like, you better pay attention. Like, I'm like super relational, you know, I'm a nice teacher that, you know, everybody likes me, but the first day I'm like, you better be with it, because everything we learn in this class you're responsible for knowing in June, including today. And don't worry, you're going to like knock the ball out of the park because of this bite. Just know that. Like, it's kind of like, all right, she said I was sat down to study for your final, and she said, any time I got stuck, I just grabbed my packet, I looked at my notes, I got clarity around that, and I went back to studying for your final. And she said, in most of my classes, I can't find stuff from like, two weeks ago. And I'm, I'm like stressing out trying to do well on this exam, right? And here's the thing, though. We've not once in this, well, I would like to call it a conversation, we're not talking about grades. We're not even talking about content. We're talking about developing these skills and habits by virtue of this routine, right? So everybody... In the class, let's just pretend that Susanna here um, has a C minus in my general science class. She leaves all of her packets, go back in her binder, all of her kickoffs, all of her learning locks. Think about this study resource she has now. But it's a portfolio. I've actually started calling them trophies because of the, the, you'll see, I'll show you some pictures, students just beam with pride. But She's having that experience by virtue of the routine, not because she's a straight-A student. Does that make sense, what I'm trying to say? Now everybody's engaged in the routine. And that's different than maybe a special ed approach, and I and of course work with many special ed programs, but just handing one student an organized binder in their class, and they're the only one out of all of you, is a different thing than when we're doing this together. Right? And we have AP teachers that say this certainly isn't going to hurt anybody. Right? They end up there. So here's some pride. This is actually Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, I, this is Cleveland. This is California. But just the smiles, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing to, to watch. So um, on occasion, though, you don't want things trapped in this table of contents. And that's another organizational skill. Turn to your one back, it's pink. Um, this is any resource, think of it as an appendix, we call it a toolkit, um, any resource or assignment that you're either going to reference throughout the entire course, so unit to unit to unit, um, 
or something you're going to add to. So think of references. Um, you know, these tend to be grade level and subject specific. But it, it's a fun conversation if it is, let's say, um, a department or a subject collaboration. I know for my, my, um, my department, I was department chair for many years, and so we were all using this. And the conversation was, what tools are we equipping students with in ninth grade and that we're building on in 10th and 11th and 12th? And in just a few years, our chemistry and physics teachers, the, the, high, the junior, senior year, would come to us and they were like, oh my gosh, these kids know how, they know how to make a creative data table. They know how to do all, all these things that we were building on in the toolkit. So you can have some fun with this, but it's an important distinction. Not everything is just stuff from this class. Some are very specific unit, specific stuff. That's the table of contents. The toolkit, though, these are my tools. So I always tell my students, like, I might have my toolkit here, and I'm working on something. I take a screwdriver out and I use it. I don't leave it there. I've got to put it back in my toolbox because next week I might need another. I've got to use it again. It needs to be accessible. In other words, I don't want those trapped in the unit packets. So hopefully that makes sense. To differentiate, instead of it being number one, number two, number three, it's F1, F2, F3, just because that's the F tab. All right? It's that simple. Most days, kick off agenda table of contents. Teachers, do your thing. Be wildly creative. Be independent. Be totally unique and then conclude with the reflection. There's four other aspects. We get to go to 45? Mm -hmm. okay. okay. So we've touched on these three. Um, let's just really quickly, I'm going to move way too fast to make sense of this. Touch on goal setting. In an organized binder, the first thing they see when they open their binder is their goals. They're colored gold because we want them going for the gold. Right? And what we, I'm just going to make this very quick. Most young people have never set goals, like really set goals, unless they have an individual learning plan of some sort. Most adults have never really set goals. Like, I mean really set goals, like sat down and like, okay. And so you have to make it as simple and as clear as possible. You've probably heard of like smart goals or some of these. Um, Ours is meant to be completely singular. And we start with an overarching goal, something even vague like this, just to successfully pass the class. And then we have a conversation about how you do that. What are strategies? And I always tell students, and we say this in our trainings, make it public because what one student thinks is like, oh, of course that's what you do. Another student may have never even thought about that. And it all seems pretty basic, like, oh, I do all my homework. I pay, I pay attention in class. I'm organized. Right? And we might think like, oh. And there might be someone out there that's like, oh, if I do my homework, I, oh, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to whatever, right? Okay? You just never know. That's right? And then the point is we actually in our trainings have people cover up their goals and we say, forget about your goal. It actually, in my opinion, isn't as important as this daily task. Tell me, how you do this. And students will be like, well, I just do it. I just, you know, I always win and where. Win and where. As a high school teacher, I'm going to come to class on time. Oh, really? Really? What's that mean? We start at 8 a.m., you take three city buses to get here. When and where? When do you get up? Because mom's out of the apartment and you're there by yourself and it's December. I wouldn't want to get up either. 
So when and where, right? So it might be something like this. When I get home, I'll sit at the dining table and I'll just knock out all my work. So what you're telling me is if you do that, you're more likely, you'll complete all your homework. If you complete all of your homework, sorry everybody, it's a little glitchy today. You're more likely to pass your class. So I always like asking young people, like, so what's most important, your goal, your sub-goal, your daily task? And they're like, my goal. And I'm like, no, it's this. Just try this every day. I call them character questions. If we can just if we can make it black and white, right? You have a decision to make. You're home. Are you going to sit down at the dining room table and do your homework? That's a character question. Right? Are you going to do it or not? Right? And so now that's the first thing in your binder, your family can see it, they can ask you about it. Every time you're coming in my room, I'm high-fiving you. But more importantly, and I'm asking you about it. But if I ever do need a student parent type of conference and the kids struggling. First of all, envision a student-led conference with their organized binding. It's the coolest thing. But if they're struggling, this is where I start every time. Open to their goals and I just say, hey, have you, have you, have you done this at all? Because I think that's a great plan. Why don't you try that for the next week and we'll just see how it goes. And mom or dad or whoever, aunt, uncle, can you just check in and see and let's just see. And if it's not, don't worry about it. We're going to reflect on it. We're going to see why or why not, and we're going to keep adjusting these and really try to, to help you be successful. Okay? So going for the goal. Um, accountability. You've got to have some meat to this. Okay? There's an accountability factor. Um, to Sorry, I went really fast past that one. So we're on accountability now. Um, and... There's a certain accountability just having the routine and engaging in the routine. But even though with Organized Binder, everything has a specific place where it lives. Right? Everything has a place. And I like to say then it's more likely to find its way home, right? If it does. But sometimes, does that look familiar? A lot of people are like, that looks pretty good, actually. <laughs> uh, this is one of my students from a few years ago when I was still in the classroom. And I'm the guy who designed this program. Okay? So you have to have the accountability piece. This is a college professor that sent this in. This is an English comp professor. And this is the kids organized, or the students organized binder. And this is their setup for all of their other college classes. And I don't care how, we're not talking about IQ or, you're just less likely to be successful here, and we all know that, right? And this is usually because nobody's ever modeled anything for me. So I have no context, right? So what we do, and by the way, our, our binders, you can stop by the booth to see one. Um, I flew out from California, like I said, so I only brought two, so you can't have one. Unless you come by at the end of the day, maybe I'll give it to you. Because um, I fly out early tomorrow morning. I, uh, our, I just a quick note on this. Um, our binders are all, all of our materials. You can see at the, the desk over there. Um, and mine's the really not fancy table. So come by. You won't miss it. My tablecloth doesn't even fit the table. They didn't tell me it's bigger. So it's, it's quite the setup I have. But all of our materials are U.S. manufactured for the lowest possible carbon footprint. Um, our binders are FFC certified, which is a federal thing that um, guarantees they're made from sustainable materials. And everything outside of the three rings in our binder is 100% plastic free and recycled. Because I believe 
Well, first of all, we're bad actors in this space, environmentally speaking. We have to own that as, as, as this industry um, in so many ways. But why would we spend so much time and energy preparing the next generation and just continue to harm the planet? So come by and see. But I say all that to say our pockets don't, our binders don't have pockets. Guess what? They stuff everything in the pockets and nothing goes in the ring. So what's the point? So what you do with the accountability piece here, I can do more justice if we had time, but it's actually kind of almost gamified. They trade binders. The kid checks their neighbors. They find anything that needs to be fixed. The kid updates it. Then the binder gets checked by the teacher. So it's actually pretty fun. And what it guarantees is they all have the portfolio. Because if you don't do this every four weeks-ish, it kind of starts to just devolve. All right, there's a place for the syllabus, which is page E, and then self-regulation. Think of this routine. Think of the color coding. Think of all, all of this is about self-regulation and engagement. But our last one, you can see passes. They get three per semester, typically. Uh, any that are left unused are typically worth one free assignment, like a little homework miss. So now, is it, do you really have to pay? It's cool if you do, but do you? So it can be kind of a fun strategy. Okay, Dweck. Any Dweck fans, mindset fans in the room? Great read if you haven't read it. Simply raising standards without giving students the means of reaching them is a recipe for disaster. Pushes the poorly prepared or poorly motivated key students into failure and out of school. And there should be a big exclamation point at the end of this after the last two years because the student dysregulation is, is it's real, right? So we have to build them up to them. Okay, I got one minute. I will be here for Q&A, but I always, I end with saying thank you. It's a, it truly is an honor to be here, and I hope you got a lot from this. We would love to work with you. But at the very least, I hope it's relevant to like what you're doing, so. I'm here. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the time.